You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only. On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Happy Groundhog Week. I don't know if the groundhog saw himself, but it is very cold this weekend. I'm loving it. As our winters were too warm, we've been dealing with 50 and 40 degree weather. Now we're finally in the wind chill, where there's 14 degree weather freezing this weekend. So that's a good sign, even though it's probably going to get warmer. Moving forward. So, Speedy Petey, what is up, my friend? Well, for everyone who's not like Errol and actually has trouble with these freezing cold weather, yeah. I hope you guys stay warm Wonderful, out there. Cold. Especially if you're traveling right now and in it's the car listening to us. cold and beautiful. Cold and beautiful for Errol. It's freezing and tough to live in for everybody else. Still warm. wearing my flip-flops. I'm still wearing my shorts and my t-shirts outside in 14-degree weather. I'm loving it. It is well, beautiful. Try to stay warm and hope you guys are enjoying your weekend. And we have a guest that is up in Wisconsin, so he's used to the cold. We will be talking to Wisconsin sophomore cornerback, our friend, Al Ashford. He hasn't been on the show for about a year. He's a good friend of the show and excited to get him on. He's been healing. He had hip surgery, shoulder surgery, and he's back. New season, new coach, new Badgers. We're looking forward to his sophomore year as a starter and maybe in the near future, playing in the NFL as he is a New York Giant fan and I'm sure he yes. will preach New York Giant football when he comes on the show but very as happy to have Al on the show. We have a lot to talk about tonight. NFL executives believing that the Jets could go all in for Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady announces his wonderful retirement. I say wonderful because we don't have to deal with Tom Brady anymore as Jet fans so he will be retiring and this is for good as he is moving on to his broad Broadcasting career of 10 years, $375 million, as he is the highest paid broadcaster in sports history. AFC-NFC Championship game recaps. Eagles and Chiefs will play in the Super Bowl this year. Moneyline Mania, NBA, the athletic shams, Charania reports Kyrie Irving has demanded a trade. I have no idea what. Kyrie Irving is doing. And latest on the Knicks trade deadline rumors, Zach Levine has been on their radar. OG has been on their radar. NHL, Bo Horvat traded to the Islanders for Anthony Bavillier and top prospect Antti Ranti and a first round draft pick, which is protected this year if the Islanders are in the top 12. Rangers and Devils still linked to big names, Timo Meyer, Vladimir Tarasenko, and Patrick Kane. So are the Islanders, by the way. So all three teams are linked to each and every one of those players. By the way, congratulations to our friend Brock Nelson for winning most accurate shot in the skills competition last night. So congratulations to Brock Nelson. An Islander actually wins 
a competition. So why don't we get into it? NFL executives believe that the Jets could go all in for Aaron Rodgers. Joe Douglas told all the Jet fans when he took this job that he needed six years to build this team. Joe Douglas next year will be with the New York Jets for five years. Not five full seasons, four full seasons. He came in the middle of the season with Adam Gase. Joe Douglas fired his good friend Adam Gase a year later and brought in his coach, Robert Sala. Then he decided to draft Zach Wilson and trade Sam Donald for a second and a fourth to Carolina. Did it work out for him? It worked out for him for the Sam trade. It really hasn't worked out for Joe Douglas right now for Zach Wilson. With the draft that they had last year and Sauce Gardner, Jermaine Johnson, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Clemens, Max Mitchell. That was a draft that will stand out for the New York Jets for their history if they find a quarterback. Last year, they started three quarterbacks. Zach Wilson, who came back from a knee injury, stunk and didn't take the responsibility or the blame. Jet fans wanted him gone. They brought in Mike White. He had one good game against the Chicago Bears. Yes, the worst team in the NFL. Everybody thought that this guy was the franchise. He beat the lonely Chicago Bears. And then he got hurt against Buffalo. He played decent. And then he was really not the same quarterback. I don't want to hear about the Minnesota game because Minnesota stinks. As the Giants proved that in the first round in the wild card game. And then Joe Flacco. He appeared in the beginning of the season. He had that unbelievable win against the Browns. The comeback, which the Jets had no possible way of coming back. But, of course, it was the Browns. And the Browns always choke. None of those quarterbacks are a franchise quarterback. Robert Sala came out and said that we want to keep Zach. We want to build him into a good quarterback. We want him to understand structure and understand the quarterback position. And now you're hearing stories about Lamar Jackson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr. We have heard Aaron Rodgers' name many times. Then they decided to fire their offensive coordinator, which I've been pushing the New York Jets for doing that, really since they hired him, and Mike LaFleur. And then they go on an offensive coordinator hunt. They interviewed eight guys. They waited for Frank Wright to decide if he was taking a job. He gets hired by the Carolina Panthers as their new head coach. And then within 45 minutes, you hear that the Jets hire Nathaniel Hackett. It is not a coincidence. They hired Nathaniel Hackett to draw one guy. The one person that not only respects Nathaniel Hackett, the one guy that loved Nathaniel Hackett. He had his best numbers when Nathaniel Hackett was the offensive coordinator. The most humble respect for this guy. And it's very hard to understand Aaron Rodgers because we've never heard Aaron Rodgers have humble respects for anybody. And when you hear him speak highly of Nathaniel Hackett, especially on the Pat McAfee show, as he said, love Hack. Hack is my guy. Love him. And Megan and the kids. When you hear that from Aaron Rodgers, not only do you see that he's very close with Nathaniel Hackett, he has a lot of love for him. One source told Tony Pauline, of the Pro Football Network that the Jets general manager, Joe Douglas, has admitted to people around the NFL that he will go all out in an attempt to land Aaron Rodgers. Adam Scheffner said that the Packers prefer to move on from Aaron Rodgers this offseason. I believe they've been 
planning to move on from Aaron Rodgers for the last three years. Even the two back-to-back MVPs, that was the highest point. And I was wondering why they didn't trade Aaron Rodgers when he won back-to-back MVPs. He has been the best quarterback in the NFL for the last seven years. I don't want to hear about Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. The most dominant quarterback in the last seven years has been Aaron Rodgers. How many number one wide receivers besides Devontae Adams has he played with? Every single wide receiver that was on his roster this year were not even in a top 100. And he still put up 3,600 yards. He still threw 26 touchdowns. ESPN Marcus Spears said about the Jets hiring of Hackett, he led the worst offense in the NFL last year. They did not hire him for anything other than saying, hey, Aaron Rodgers, we got you, boy. The whole plan here was to draw Aaron Rodgers. I don't care what Devontae Adams says about his neighborhood. If Aaron Rodgers is going to move anywhere, he's going to move to my neighborhood. Why would Aaron Rodgers go to Vegas after Derek Carr failed with his buddy Devontae Adams there? The reason why Devontae Adams left Green Bay was to go play with his buddy, and after a year, his buddy's leaving and going elsewhere. Why would Aaron Rodgers want to go play for Josh McDaniels? Rodgers' stats last season without Adams, 64.6 completion percentage, six eight yards per pass, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 3,695 passing yards with a 91.1 passing rating. Even with the season that he had, that's still amongst the league's top 10. Those numbers were not even close to his best. Those numbers haven't been close to his best of the last five years. But he still was in the top 10 in almost every quarterback statistic. Jets quarterback combined last year. 4,040 passing yards, 15 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, a 56.9% completion percentage, 6.4 yards per attempt, and a 75 passing rating. Are you kidding me? Four quarterbacks. And Aaron Rodgers just blew them out of the water. One guy blew four quarterbacks. And by the way, Joe Flacco is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He has been a successful quarterback in the NFL. He's not the same quarterback he was with Baltimore, but he's still a quality quarterback that's just no good anymore. Aaron Rodgers' two MVP seasons combined with Nathaniel Hackett. He had 69.8% completion percentage, 8 yards per pass, 8,414 passing yards, 85 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, with 116.7 passing rating, which was the best by far in the NFL. Perfect passer rating is 158.3. That is only usually accumulated in a single game. Aaron Rodgers had two years at 116.7. Which is better than... Insane how good his accuracy is. We know he has the lowest amount of interceptions among active quarterbacks that have played Even over 10 year, years. Even this year, where he didn't have a great... He threw 12 interceptions. And most of them were in one Detroit game where he had three of them. This is a guy that you mentioned the Jets can only get on $15 million dead cap this year, which is a really good bargain. I think they could. They have to obviously negotiate the $58 million dead cap with Aaron Rodgers and his agent. We've heard that Derek Carr this past weekend will be talking to a bunch of teams. The Raiders are giving him the advantage here to go out there and look at other teams that he wants to play for before they decide to either trade him four days after the Super Bowl or let him go to free agency. I believe the Raiders are trying to get something for him, being that he is in the driver's seat with the no-trade clause. The best they can get is a third-round draft pick. The worst, a fourth. I'm moving towards a fourth-round draft pick because they have to pay Derek Carr. Fitting him into their cap, that's going to be difficult as it is especially with the three or four teams that are looking for a franchise quarterback. But Derek Carr is definitely on the Jets' radar, too. It's not just Aaron Rodgers. The questions are, with the Aaron Rodgers thing, is what are the Jets going to give up if 
Aaron Rodgers decides to part ways with Green Bay, and does it make sense for the Jets to bring him in, knowing that they have to pick Quinn Williams this year, they have to pick Quincy Williams, and we have heard what Quinn Williams has said. He wants to be the highest or the second highest paid defensive lineman in the NFL. He's worth it. He's still very young. He's 24 years old. He's now getting to that point where he is becoming the beast that the Jets believed he was going to be when they drafted him as the number three pick. It's definitely very, very important that the Jets make their star defensive lineman very, very happy. Tom Brady announces his retirement. This is a man, as much as you as a Jet fan or a Giant fan couldn't stand, this guy was the face of the NFL for over 20 years. Him and Peyton Manning were the faces of the NFL. And what he did, winning seven championships, five MVPs in the playoffs, three MVPs in the regular season. This man showed not only leadership, but showed why people loved him on and off the field. Brady quoted, I know the process was a pretty big deal last time. So when I woke up this morning, I figured i just press record and let you guys know first. I won't be long-winded. You only get a super emotional retirement essay one time. And I used mine up last year. So really, thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me. Robert Kraft also said, I don't ever believe in a 100 years of history of the NFL there is going to be a quarterback like Tom Brady. I don't know, but I would have trouble ever believing there would be another one. The Glazer family that owns the Buccaneers said in this statement, Brady set an exceptional standard that elevated our entire organization to new heights and created some of the most iconic moments in our history. Tom's impact will be felt within our community for many years to come, and we will forever be grateful for those unforgettable memories that he provided during these final seasons of his legendary career. When you hear these, and I don't think you're ever going to see another Tom Brady again, just as much as you'll never see a Wayne Gretzky, you'll never see a Michael Jordan, you'll never see a Tiger Woods or a Jack Nicholas, you'll never see a Serena Williams or a Roger Federer. These are the best of the best. You'll never see a Jerry Rice or a Reggie White. These guys will always and forever be hinted in your brain as the greatest of their professional sports. And by the way, Babe Ruth as well. Yeah, you don't get longevity as impressive as Tom Brady either in many sports either. You look at, like Jerry Rice, probably when you play 20 plus years as a wide receiver, we probably have to give him the edge. But in terms of longevity for Tom Brady playing until he was 45, that was his goal four years ago. And he set out to do that. He played the one more year, obviously, after the unretirement last year, that whole drama where everyone thought he was going to retire. Then he did unretire, go to the Niners, and he went back to Tampa anyway and played out this year. Amidst a lot of different other circumstances, Arian's gone, Byron Leftwich, him and Brady were feuding throughout the year, that terrible offensive line that he had, and he still played anyway. Definitely shows his passion for the game, a passion that is really unmatched for anyone in any sport. He, You can tell he really loves the game, and playing amidst all those circumstances that he played through this year, still having a desire for the game. You definitely never t- saw his desire for the game really get let down at any point this year. Even in the tough times, you still showed his anger and passion with his with his teammates, with the fans, everybody. And Tom Brady, what a career he's had. Like you said, greatest postseason quarterback we've ever seen. And greatest quarterback to ever play. As much as I don't want to say that because I've always argued it was Joe Montana. Listen to these numbers. I mean, just listen to these statistics and who he was as a player. 
Brady is the only player in NFL history to win more than five Super Bowls and five Super Bowl MVPs. Brady's final season with the Bucks, he ended up 60 his his completion percentage was 66.8%, led the league in total passing completed with 490, 6.4 yards per attempt, 25 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, and a 90.7 passing rating. Career, 251-82 and 82 regular season record, and a 35-13 and 13 career playoff record, including 10 Super Bowl appearances. He was 7-3. In his playoff career, Brady had 88 passing touchdowns, 40 interceptions, 13,400 passing yards, 62.5% completion percentage, average of 7 yards per pass, and a passer rating of 89.8. Final regular season stats, Brady had a 64.3% completion percentage, averaging 7.4 yards per pass, 89,250 14 passing yards, 649 touchdowns, 212 interceptions, and a passing rating of 97.2 in 23 seasons. When you look at these numbers and all these great things about this man, despite the fact that the Jets could never beat him, you look at who Tom Brady was, he made you as a Jet fan want to hate him. And as a Jet fan in the AFC East, and always looking at the top of that division and always seeing the New England Patriots. And remember, embedded into your head about Mo Lewis hitting Drew Bledsoe and knocking him out of the game when you first saw Tom Brady step on the field and you were the reason. The Jets were the reason why Tom Brady became one of the greatest quarterbacks or the greatest quarterback of all time, destroying my thoughts of ever winning a Super Bowl. So thank you, Mo Lewis. Thank you to my Jets for screwing everything up, for letting Tom Brady become one of the greatest and the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. An illustrious career. He will go down as one of the greats. He was the Michael Jordan of this era when it comes to football. And nobody can take that away from him. I hated Michael Jordan as a Nick fan all my years watching him. And now that he is retired, I don't think I'll ever see a player that great I saw with Michael Jordan. I could say that about Tom Brady as well. As Tom Brady moves on to his Fox Sports broadcasting job where he signed a contract the last year. 10 years, $375 million contract will be the highest paid broadcasting contract in broadcasting sports history. So Tom Brady is a very rich man. And then there was the NFC and AFC title games. As the 49ers and the Eagles played the first game, there was a lot of things that stuck out. One, Brock Purdy, a quarterback that was on a run that we have never seen before. A rookie quarterback, he was the last pick of last year's draft, just shined at the end of the season. Maybe because the right teams fell in his lap with the Buccaneers not playing well at the time that he came into that game, his first game of his career, playing Tom Brady, winning that game. But Brock Purdy had the excitement for all the 49er fans to believe that he was the quarterback of the future of this organization after Trey Lance didn't show much of anything this year before he hurt his ankle and he was out for the season. Then Jimmy Garoppolo came in, hurt his ankle and his foot, and he was out for the season. So Brock was a guy that was sitting as a third-string quarterback. We've seen this before. Asked Tom Brady. He was a fourth-string quarterback. This kid played well in games where he played competitive. He didn't put up bad numbers. He put up great numbers. Going into the playoffs, knocking off Seattle. 
Seattle, knocking off Dallas. Did he have a great game against Dallas? He did against the Seahawks. Didn't have a great game against a great defense. And then going to this Eagles game, I really thought that the Eagles were going to really put pressure on him to make the throws quick. And boy, did they ever. This was the first game that we saw Dominic and Sue start on that defensive line with the Eagles, with Cox on the line and all those guys coming at him and putting pressure on him. They hit him. And they kept hitting him in the first quarter until Brock Purdy got beaten up and his hand got bent back. The ball came out and he torn his UCL and he's going to be out for at least six months. Might be out for the whole season next year. A tear in your UCL, that's Tommy John surgery. And a lot of baseball players, pitchers, it took them 12, 13 months to heal up on an injury like that. But not only that, the 49ers just were outclassed, outplayed by a better team. Now, I'm not saying the 49ers defense couldn't compete with the Eagles, but the Eagles, they were just getting healthy defensively. They got Johnson back. They added pieces before the playoffs even started. They were getting healthy, and now this defense was at full strength. Now, the 49ers had the best defense all season long, and their defense played fantastic against Jalen Hurts. They kept him to 120 yards, and they tried to keep him in the box and made him throw in a play where he wasn't comfortable in. But Jalen Hurts, with his ability and the way he runs the ball and the way he uses his running backs, his wide receivers in these slant passes, he kept his team open to make plays. And as soon as Brock Purdy was out and then they brought Johnson in and then he got hurt and then Brock Purdy had to come back and everybody knew he wasn't throwing the ball, the game was over. I'll say this again about Kyle Shanahan. You were running the ball very, very well with Christian McCaffrey. Why did you stop handing him the ball. You couldn't throw the ball. The only guy that was doing anything on the field was Christian McCaffrey. Why did you stop running the ball to him? Why did you stop throwing hitch passes to him or screen passes to him so he can do what he's good at? Because after Brock Purdy came back into the game, everybody knew all he was going to do was run the ball. So you started to give the ball to Debo Samuel, and he started running the ball with Kittle when the only guy that was giving you yards was Christian McCaffrey. And in the second half, you just didn't give him the ball enough. That was an embarrassing game for Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. And I don't want to hear it on social media for all the 49ers fans to say that if Brock Purdy was playing in this game, the game would have been won by the 49ers or it would have been closer. How do you know? There's no definitive thing that the Niners would have won that game because the Eagles were still outmatching them up front. You saw the Niners interior offensive line really struggle again for the second straight week. And I know they got away with it to some extent against Dallas, but you can't get away with it against Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave and Ndamukong Suh. This is the deepest interior group in the league, and they definitely showed it. Kyle Shanahan definitely deserves a little bit of the blame, too, for leaving Brock Purdy in as kind of a decoy as long as he did. Like, I get it initially. Maybe you're trying to throw the Eagles off. Maybe they're thinking, okay, maybe Purdy can play and not knowing the injury, but at some point, they figured it out. Nobody threw a pass, pass the line of scrimmage. Also, why are you blocking Hassan Reddick with Tyler Croft is beyond me. You have George Kittle, the best blocking tight end in the league, and Kyle Juszczyk, who's a great blocking fullback. Two good tackles, and you block Hassan Reddick with Tyler Croft made absolutely no sense. 49ers only had two first downs in the entire second half. Jimmy G was smiling on the sideline as well as he should because he'll be smiling his ass out of San Francisco as Kyle Shanahan at the end of the season after the knockout NFC title game. He spoke to the press, said that more than likely, 
likely Jimmy G and the 49ers are parting ways. So it's going to be up to Trey Lance and Brock Purdy. I believe Trey Lance will start the season as the starting quarterback with this injury to Brock Purdy. I don't know when Brock Purdy's going to come back and if he's ever going to be the same. When you tear your UCL and everybody says pitches come back even better. This is football. You throw the ball. It's a different throwing rotation. So I don't know if Brock Purdy's ever going to be the same or as accurate as he was when he came out of college. So Exhibit A. Look at Josh Allen this yeah. year. The 49ers had 11 total penalties to the Eagles having only four, including four pre-snap penalties. The 49ers had only allowed 11 rushing touchdowns in 18 regular season games. The Eagles rushed for four. Hassan Reddick, five total pressures on just 14 snaps, two sacks, and a forced fumble, and fumble recovery. Jalen Hurts, 121 passing yards, where he was the sixth lowest total for winning quarterbacks in a conference championship game. Them and the 49ers in 2019-2020 are the two lowest of examples in the 21st century. And then there was the AFC title game which was much closer, much more fun to watch, but the calls and the penalties that went the Kansas City Chiefs' way was just absolutely appalling. I know a lot of people are going to say, wow, Patrick Mahomes played with one leg and he won this game. The Kansas City Chiefs' defense won this game. Jones having two and a half sacks in this game. Ten different receivers caught a pass from the Chiefs after losing Kadarius Toney and Juju Smith-Schuster during the game. Also losing McCall Hardman in the first game back since week nine. It's unbelievable what Patrick Mahomes did on one leg. It really was the dominance of the Chiefs defense. The Chiefs offensive line allowed five total quarterback pressures and a 10.2% pressure rate. Bengals got three sacks and Mahomes was only hit two other times in the pocket. The offensive line played well. If you can win in the trenches and you can run the ball, you're probably going to win. And the Bengals, they started running the ball better in the second half. Joe Burrow was pulling them back into the game. Joe Burrow has been the best second-half quarterback in the league at last eight games of the season. And what he did after Halloween was fantastic. Going on one of those great runs and showing everybody why he's one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. It was not Joe Burrow's fault they lost in Kansas City. I think it was just bad refereeing, bad penalties at the end of the game. They had a chance with 40 seconds left to keep Patrick Mahomes behind the 45-yard line and make them kick a long field goal, a 65-yard field goal. And that penalty really costly, which gave them 15 yards and put them in field goal range and lost the game. But there were plenty of times in this game, especially in the fourth quarter, the Bengals had a chance to win. Arian Foster said something this week that the NFL is rigged. I've been saying this a very long time. I don't know if the NFL wanted to see Andy Reid versus his old team in Philadelphia have the Andy Reid Super Bowl. But there was a lot of fishy calls in the fourth quarter in the second half that made me shake my head and wonder if the NFL wanted to see that. These defensive players get called for pass interference on just the smallest things. Mike Hilton had a couple called on him. Von Bell, that he got called on Kelsey that I don't... And the penalty at the end of the game on Osai was just unfortunate. It was a penalty, but it was just unfortunate for a kid, a second year player that played so well in that fourth quarter. Please do not blame him, Bengals fans, for them losing that game, but winning in the trenches. The Bengals offensive line issues finally haunted them, having the three guys out, and Joe Burrow, it was just really hard for him to get anything down the field. They got the touchdown of T. Higgins down the field, I think one deep pass to Chase, and that was it. It's very hard for the Bengals offense to function like that, especially when they can't run the ball. When we come back, some NHL conversation. As Bo Horvat was traded to the Islanders, and the Rangers and Devils still linked to very big names. Where do these teams 
teams go and where do these teams land in the second half of the season here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. It's so crazy. We have attacked the New York Islanders. I believe that last week I thought the Islanders were sellers. Rebuild in the offseason. Go after Bo Horvat. Go after Timo Meyer or one of these guys or maybe two of these guys. Maybe Larkin. Try to shed some of the older teams talent away so next year you can bring some of the younger talent in. I was right about Bo Horvat a couple of weeks ago that the Islanders were very interested in him, but I didn't think they were going to trade for him. Well, they did. On Monday, the Islanders make a trade with the Vancouver Canucks, which sends Anthony Bevilier, their top prospect, Antti Ranti, and a first-round protected pick to the Vancouver Canucks for their star center and captain, Bo Horvat. Does this change the Islanders' position to make the playoffs? Maybe. I do believe the Islanders are missing a couple of pieces. It's not just one. I think they need to add another offensive guy, another fast speed demon guy, maybe for the first line to add with Bo Horvat and Barzell. Horvat is a very talented kid, and if the Islanders could re-sign him, which I don't think Lou Lamorello makes this trade if he didn't think he was going to sign him. If they let Bo Horvat go to free agency, I don't believe the Islanders could persuade him to come to Long Island. The fact that he's going to be there half a season and maybe a playoff run, that would persuade Bo Horvat to re-sign with the Islanders because he will know that if he signs a six- or seven-year deal with the Islanders, he will be with Barzell moving forward for the next seven years. Horvat has won 625 faceoffs in 49 games this season. An average of 12.75 faceoff wins per game. Horvat's 625 faceoff wins is second in the NHL only to Patrice Bergeron who has 689. Horvat was sixth last season with 841 faceoff wins. Faceoffs are very important in the playoffs. And now the Islanders have two guys in the top 10 in faceoffs. Pajot and now Horvat. Horvat has 31 goals in 49 games this season, already tying his career high, which was 31 last season. Horvat has 31 goals and 143 shots on goal, which gives him a 21.7% shooting percentage among NHL players with over 100 shots on goal. Only Jets mark Shifley has a higher percentage at 22.8%. Horvat averages 20 minutes and 48 seconds per game, which is seven highest amongst NHL forwards. Horvat has been coached by four different coaches in his career. This is a young player who just turned 27. He's in the prime of his career. He's looking for a big contract. Vancouver offered him two contracts this season already. He decided to not take those contracts. He wanted to go to free agency. And now he gets traded to the Islanders. Long Island's a beautiful place. Vancouver's a beautiful place. It's right on the water. So is the island. He will feel at home. I believe that Lou Lamorello had to make this trade if he believed that he can somehow sign Horvat in the offseason. The Boston Bruins, Bergeron is getting old. Horvat is another Bergeron, a younger, visional player like Bergeron. 
the Islanders needed to make a smash. They needed to do something to maybe change their season around. They're only two points out of a playoff spot behind Pittsburgh. They're very much in this race. Do I think the Islanders should have traded Auntie Ronti? No. It's another year that Lou Lamorello trades off another first-round draft pick. Lou's been here for almost five years. He has had one draft the first-round draft picks. And I was at that draft. Wallstrom and Dobson. Dobson looks like he's a player. Wallstrom, so far, he's been a bust. They finally drafted a guy in Auntie Ronti who was a first-round talent in the second round, and then he traded him away. Was it worth it? I absolutely believe if they can re-sign Bo Horvat, the Islanders won this trade. Now, if Auntie Ronti turns into a 30-goal scorer and Anthony Bovillier turns into the player that we thought he was going to be when he was drafted in the first round, and that first-round draft pick becomes a good player, then Vancouver wins. But for right now, the Islanders are a win-now team. They're the oldest team in the NHL. They needed to add an offensive powerhouse automatically becomes their best player, it's a good move for the Islanders. And you talked about it last week, too. Lou Lamorello, I don't think, wants to do another rebuild. If the value was there to get a big swing like this, he was going to take it. And the Islanders got very good value for this. I thought it was going to have to take probably one more player. Not necessarily one more, like, Aturati-level prospect, but maybe at least a B-level prospect. Like, still a good young player or one of their young defensemen on the roster. The Islanders got him for that kind of value, I think, is very impressive because he's 27 years old. He's very durable. Among the league's best face-off guys. Now he's picking up the goal scoring only recently. He had 31 goals back-to-back seasons where he never had a 30-goal season before that, but he still was a great assist guy before that. Three of his first six seasons with 30-plus assists, which on a Vancouver team that dealt with a lot is very impressive. This is not a guy that's had stability his whole career. Like you said, four different coaches, so many different GMs, so much dysfunction. Faceoffs are so very important in the playoffs, and for the Islanders to have as much center depth as they have, that could be a secret weapon if they get there. Now, the Islanders' playoff identity might be different with Lambert over Trotz, but the Islanders are still not a team you definitely don't want to mess with in the playoffs with a great goaltender in Sorokin, too. If they could add another offensive player to help them get over the hump, this team would be a dangerous team. You don't want to play two face-off guys as good as Pajot and Bo Horvat in the playoffs. The Islanders have been terrible on the power play. Maybe adding Bo Horvat will help on the power play. They needed to add a player to help out Barzell. They haven't had a player this talented since John Tavares. John Tavares is now playing in Toronto. He hasn't really done anything. And Bo Horvat is that type of guy. He's a better player than John Tavares. Now, he's not a goal scorer like John Tavares. He's not that type of player. But everything else, penalty killing, power plays, face-off wins. This guy is as good as anybody in the league. And in the playoffs, you need that. You need a guy that you could put him in the zone. And if you need a big face-off, you put him in the game. He is going to give you that much of a chance to win it every single time. So, I think this is a good move for the Islanders. They need to resign the kid. I think they have to do it before the end of the season, before the playoffs. I really believe this kid's going to like Long Island. Playing with Barzell, maybe they bring in another guy, maybe a Timo Meyer to play on the other side and make one of the better offensive lines in the NHL. Then the Islanders really have something. Then they can make a statement in the playoffs and really scare people with the goaltending that they have. And when Pellet comes back and his defense gets back to form, this team could be one of the more dangerous eight or seven seeds in the NHL. And Boston, if they're the number one seed, or even Carolina, none of those teams are going to want to play the Islanders in the first round, knowing the talent that they have added at the trade deadline. And Lou made a statement over the last three years at the trade deadline. He became one of the better executives in the league over the years, even with the Devils making that move at the trade deadline for Jason Arnott would help them win a Stanley Cup that year. So he's made moves at specific times that's helped this team get over the hump. So is it Bo Horvat and maybe a Timo Meyer at the trade deadline where they can put themselves on top of the league where they're making a statement? Lou is not going to sit back now. He is not going to rebuild now. He 
he's ready to win. He believes in this team now. If they get into the playoffs, they're dangerous, they're scary, and you don't want to play them. I just thought they were going to trade pieces away and get ready for the offseason this year where they can add one or two of these players and then go into the season next year where they're at full strength and they're ready to go. I think Lou is a win-now type of guy right now. He's making a statement that Bo Horvat is the guy. The Rangers and Devils still linked to big names like Timo Meyer, Vladimir Tarasenko, and Patrick Kane. So are the Islanders. When you look at all three Metropolitan teams, a trio of teams that don't like each other, I think the Devils have the best chance to land Timo Meyer because they have a tremendous farm system. I think the Islanders giving up a first and giving up Anthony Bevilier, a guy that a lot of teams would be interested in because he's young and he has the ability to develop. You've seen what he's done in the playoffs. Anthony Bevilier has been one of their better playoff players the last couple of years. So losing those two guys, it's going to be very hard to swing one of these guys. Vladimir Tarasenko makes another all-star game this year. Has he had a great season? No, but he's still a talented player and you put him on a roster that could put the puck in the net or you put him on a line that actually could do the things that he is good at with his speed and his ability to use the boards to his advantage and the way he likes to use his body. I think Tarasenko would be a good acquisition for the New York Rangers. Now the Rangers obviously first line is played very, very well. I don't see them changing that, but their second and third lines could use a guy as talented as Tarasenko. He is a goal scorer. Now is he the goal scorer he was the last four or five years? No. But he's a guy that could score an average of 30 goals a season and by the way, he's not that old. He's 32 years old. He has one more year left on his contract. It's an affordable contract. The Rangers could definitely afford him. So could the Islanders. The Islanders could definitely afford a contract like that if they can move maybe a Bailey or a Mayfield. Tarasenko is a guy I think fits the Rangers. I think Patrick Kane, as much as everybody keeps talking about the Rangers, I think out of all three of these teams, the Islanders have the best chance to land Patrick Kane. And there's a reason why. Because if you look at what the Islanders are trying to do, what the Islanders would do is rent Patrick Kane for another year. They don't have to give up much for Patrick Kane. They're not going to be asking for a first or a second. I think they're going to have to match a contract. They're going to have to get rid of a Bally or somebody like that and a prospect. One of the picks that they had this year, maybe one of the young defensemen that they drafted this past year. But they're not going to have to give up much for Patrick Kane. And you put him on the line with Bo Horvat and Barzell, you're talking about one of the more potent offensive lines in the NHL. Barzell has never played with a guy as good as Bo Horvat. You add Patrick Kane to the mix with that speed. All three guys can skate. The Islanders are one of the slowest teams in the NHL. You add Patrick Kane and Bo Horvat to one line. You're talking about from one of the worst and one of the slowest offensive teams in the league to one of the faster mediocre offensive teams in the league. Teams don't want to play you in the playoffs. And it makes sense because Patrick wants to come to New York. I know he said that he wants to play with the Rangers, but why not go and play for the Islanders? You play for a good line. You play in the UBS arena, a new arena that's probably going to be one of the more fun arenas to go and play for and play in. I think Timo Meyer makes sense for the Devils. I think Tarasenko makes sense for the Rangers. And I think Patrick Kane makes sense for the Islanders. I agree with you on Timo Meyer, definitely. I think the Devils and him make a lot of sense. They're trying to stay young but compete at the same time. I don't know if a Patrick Kane at $10.5 million is exactly what the Devils need because they're still kind of a new team all at once. They still have some issues on defense. If their goaltending doesn't stay healthy, their offense is very good, especially at the top three lines for the Devils. And I think Timo Meyer, with his speed and his physicality is exactly the type of player that they need. As far as Tarasenko and Kane, yeah, I would say the Islanders are probably more likely to get one of them than the Rangers are just because the Rangers are still dealing with a lot of cap issues. A lot of their guys coming from big trades and free agents. That's why I think Tarasenko makes a lot of sense for the Rangers. Yeah, I think if they're going to be able to trade for somebody like Kane, they're going to have to shed some third or fourth line guys to make the money work. Kane is at 10.5. 
five. But so. next year they have seventeen million. As a free agent, Patrick Kane maybe seems more likely where they don't have to pay him as much because he, there's no way he's going to get anywhere close to ten and a half million dollars again. The Rangers, I still would pursue more like last year's trade deadline where I would want them to get more depth over on Star. Where you talk about faceoffs, the Rangers have had issues with faceoffs for so many years. Veteran centers, they're very hard to find. Very costly. That's why I thought the Islanders were going after overpay for Bo Horvat because right. they're costly to get a guy that good. Which leaves the Rangers in a boat like last year where I think some kind of combination like they had with Cop and Vetrano could make a lot more sense rather than just going after one big swing of a winger because the Rangers still have issues with face-offs. They still have issues with defense among their forwards this year. Besides Chris Kreider and Trocek and maybe Zabanjad, none of them are great defensively as forwards. Goodrow's kind of been down after he was good last year. Sammy Blay's been good at times, but this bottom part of the, the Rangers' depth has really not been great. So I wouldn't mind them trying to go after two veteran players, guys that are leaders at the same price or even less rather than going after just one guy. And Tarasenko is still an injury risk. For five and a half million dollars, I would take a chance for Tarasenko. Tarasenko, he's a good second half player. You put him on that roster, maybe even put him on the second line. You're giving him that kind of offense that they need on that second line. Their first line is fantastic. Their second line, it's been fluctuating. The third line's played well. The second line's not played well. The second line plays well. The third line doesn't play well. It's not consistent. And I think that if you add Tarasenko to one of those lines, you give consistency to that line. So I think the Rangers need to make a move for a good player. Tarasenko is an affordable player. You have him for another year under contract for $5.5 million. It makes sense for the Rangers. Patrick Kane, even though he's costly, I do believe that the Islanders could figure out how to make this work where they could trade for a Patrick Kane. And I think Patrick Kane would very much work for the Islanders, especially on that first line with the talent that they have now with Bo Horvat and Barzell. When we come back, some NBA as the Brooklyn Nets. They're going to be the new look Brooklyn Nets because our friend Kyrie Irving is demanding a trade from the Nets as the clown show begins again. We will get into the clown show of the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving's Ringland Circus and the New York Knicks. What do they do at the trade deadline? Do they go after Zach Levine or maybe another Raptor? So when we come back, we will wrap our way into the New York basketball teams here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, which are live. Great stories. Check out the Sports Lamouts, which airs every Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Oh my God, Kyrie Irving. I shake my head every time I hear this guy's name in the tabloids. If it's not on social media, craziness and his attacks through anti-Semitic views, saying that the earth is flat, whatever he has and whatever he does, if it's not on the court, it's off the court in the COVID situation on why he didn't want to play. Then he's on a bus without a mask, hanging out with strippers. This man has been nothing but a problem since he came here to Brooklyn. And a week and a half from the All-Star game, he goes to the Brooklyn Nets And he tells the Brooklyn Nets that he wants to be traded. And the Brooklyn Nets have to oblige him because if they don't, he's a free agent next year. 
They're going to get nothing back for him, and he is going to flee no matter what. So now they're put in the predicament where they have a chance to win this year. He's now screwing them, telling them, I'm probably not coming back, so you might as well trade me and try to get as much as you can back for me. Kevin Durant won't be back for at least another three weeks, possibly four weeks. This could set your team back out of a playoff spot if you trade Kyrie Irving in a week. Kyrie Irving has practically screwed the Brooklyn Nets all the time. This man has done nothing to help this organization out. He is a super talent. I believe statistically he's the best point guard in the NBA. This guy is the best all-around offensive talent at his position in the NBA. Here's the problem. Do you want him on your team? He's been nothing but a cancer everywhere he's gone. Cleveland, cancer. Celtics, cancer. Brooklyn, cancer. Now I'm hearing Dallas is interested in him. Mark Cuban is interested in him. Do you really think that Mark Cuban is going to want to deal with this craziness? Now, does he add a prolific talent offensively that they haven't had with Luka Doncic? Absolutely. I think Jalen Brunson's a fantastic talent, and you see what he's doing for the Knicks. Is he anywhere close to a Kyrie Irving's talent? He's not. As good as Jalen Brunson has been this year, he is not Kyrie Irving. You put Kyrie Irving on that Mavericks team, they're a contender. The question is, are they going to be able to control him and then try to sign him in the offseason? And do you want to sign him in the offseason for the amount of money he wants? He wants max money, super max. He wants to be the highest paid player in the NBA. Good luck. Now, could Mark Cuban do that? Absolutely. Will he? I don't know. Should he? Absolutely not. What I do know is his talent is there. But his clownness and his craziness on and off the court, I don't want to take a chance with him. Now, to come out like this a week before the trade deadline and throw your team under the bus... After the way your team is playing, you have no Kevin Durant in this lineup. Ben Simmons is finally figuring things out, and now you're going to say, you know what, I'm bailing on you guys. I don't want to be here anymore. It's despicable. And what I would do if I were the Brooklyn Nets right now is I would sit him out for the next week so he doesn't get hurt and get as much as I possibly can for him. I would call every single general manager and I would say, what would you give me for Kyrie Irving? And I don't care if he wants to go there or not. There's no trade clause. He could trade him wherever they want. So Sean Marks could trade him wherever he wants. See who's going to give me the best deal and trade his ass. Yeah, you mentioned the Mavericks as being one of the teams, also the Suns and the Lakers have been interested in him, obviously, with the LeBron connection. The Suns are interesting. Off-season rumors with Kevin Durant being interested in going to the Suns. The Nets would be interested in getting DeAndre Ayton back. Maybe that's something they experiment with as a potential candidate for Kyrie Irving. But either way, it's time to end this experiment. Because if Kyrie Irving is going to act like this now, when Kevin Durant's hurt and probably is going to miss at least another three weeks, you're the fourth seed in the East, and you're not committed to that, this is a guy that clearly only cares about himself. His legacy, his stats, he is not a team guy. One of the incentives, apparently, that he turned down, the Nets had to win a championship and there was an extra incentive in his new contract and he turned it down. That means he doesn't care about winning. He won his championship, he's content with it. He only cares about him and his legacy. I don't know any team or any player that should want to play with that. Yes, he's a talented player. Not worth this drama that he brings to every team he goes to. It seems like every five months we're talking about something just outrageous. Yes, it's a move I could see the Lakers making because LeBron. Should they? Probably not. Dallas definitely should not make it, even though they have the best chance probably because they only have one max contract on the team in Luka Doncic. I don't think that'd be worth it. And the Suns, you have your leadership at point guard, Chris Paul. Once he's come back, the Suns have played great again. You don't need Kyrie Irving. No, you don't. And I think Kevin Durant is going to be the next person that wants out because if Kyrie Irving is gone and they can't find a team that's going to match the trade options that they have to get Kyrie Irving, it sets the Nets back and it sets Kevin Durant back because Kevin 
Durant is not going to win a championship with this team. Maybe the Chicago Bulls. Maybe you can get Zach Levine. You put Zach Levine with Kevin Durant. That would be a pretty good combination. And you have Ben Simmons there. But I don't know if the Chicago Bulls are going to want to deal with Kyrie Irving. I think the Mavericks will. But who are they going to trade for Kyrie Irving? They don't have anybody on that roster that is good enough that Kevin Durant's going to say, okay, make that trade. We still have a chance to make a run. Unless you bring in a third team. The Suns do. Now, DeAndre Ayton's a good player. Is he a great player? No. He's kind of the same player Ben Simmons is. He's a better version of Ben Simmons. He could dominate the pain. He could score about 15 to 20 points a game. Ben Simmons can't. But is he... Kyrie Irving-like? Is he Kyrie Irving talent? No, he's not. And that's the problem. There is no team that's going to match the talent that Kyrie Irving is. The guy's averaging 27 points, almost six assists a game, and for a guy his size, averaging about four rebounds a game. Nobody in the league can average that at a point guard position. So you wonder, are they going to get the type of talent that they're looking for to make a run this year? The answer is no. So if I were the Nets, I would trade both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving at the trade deadline. And get as much as you possibly can back. You start over in the offseason. You get your some of your first round draft picks that you lost with James Harden and you move forward with this because this thought that they were going to be a contender really fell apart after James Harden decided to move on to Philadelphia and you traded away all that draft stock. So I think they're behind now the eight ball and they need to rebuild and maybe it's not with Sean Marks again. Maybe it's looking for a new GM and doing what Sean Marks did in the beginning rebuild with youth and don't trade away that youth which they did with Harris Levert and all the talent that they had at the point of attack when they had it. I don't know what they can do. Maybe that's the player they get back from the Mavericks. Spencer Dinwiddie at $20 million a year. <laughs> Please. Even though Spencer Dinwiddie's have a good season. No, he's had a good year, but still. And now, the real New York team, a team that's playing pretty good basketball, R.J. Barrett is finally taking his steps forward. Coming back from his injury, he's averaging a little bit over 21 points a game. He's been fantastic. And Jalen Bronson, who should be an all-star, not Julius Randle. Jalen Bronson, the MVP of the team, he's been fantastic. Grimes is starting to play better. He's come back from his injury. Obi Toppin's playing a little bit better and now he's getting his feet under him. Maybe he's a trade piece. Now, I've heard stories that if the Knicks are interested in Zach Levine, the key player in that trade would be Obi Toppin. I don't want to trade Obi, but for a guy like Zach Levine, that can change their team and change your organization as a 5 or a 6 seed going into the playoffs to maybe a 4 or a 3 seed. Adding a Zach Levine, I would make that trade. I don't know where the Knicks are as an organization and a team. They could add OG Ananobi from the Toronto Raptors. I heard that Leon Rose would be willing to give up three first-round draft picks for him. I think they're out of their minds. He's a good player. He's a Thibodeau type of player. He plays defense. He's become an offensive player. He's had one of his best offensive seasons. He's averaging 16.9 points a game, and he can pass for a guy his size. He is not worth three first-round draft picks. You might as well keep Julius Randle. Deal with Julius Randle. You bring OG in, and you keep Julius Randle. You have OG, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and Jalen Brunson. Even though it's a pretty good four, and then when you have Mitchell come back, that's a pretty good five. It's still not good enough to beat the top teams in the East. You need a shooter. You need a guy that's consistent, 39%, 40% three-point shooter. They don't have that guy. And the Knicks lack efficiency when it comes to their offense. Even though R.J. Barrett has improved it over from where he was last year, you want to trust something that is a lot more efficient. And Zach Levine does that at the free-throwing line, 83.4%. Three-point line, 37.6%. 
percent. That's something the Knicks have not had in who knows how long. And Allen Houston, because now he wants out, the Knicks actually could get him for less. Yes, you mentioned Obi Toppin as the player that the Bulls want most. Yes, I would definitely hope they don't have to trade him because the Knicks don't really have another player like him on the roster. Zach Levine is a scorer like that they don't have on the roster either. But still, I think with the ways a lot of these guards have played this year, they could definitely package it where they might be able to trade Quigley and those other contract hits to shed the money and some draft picks to make it work. You want to trade multiple first-round picks for Zach Levine? Yeah, you do that. Not for OG Adenobi. No, I would give up three first-round draft oh, of picks course, for Zach Levine. Oh, of course, in a In terms of OG Adenobi, yeah, no way. I'm not doing it for a guy that's a 17-point-a-game scorer. Leon Rose had a chance to trade three first-round draft picks and maybe a player for Donovan Mitchell, and he decided not to do that. Now he'll do that for OG? It doesn't make sense. Could you imagine if the Knicks had Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson on this roster right now? They'd be scary. They'd be a top three seed with the youngsters and the bench that the Knicks have. It's a pretty good bench. That would look really bad in the public eye, too, from Knicks fans oh, from 100%. New York media. And I know Leon Rose has been more aware when it comes to these basketball decisions. James Dolan even came out this week and said that he's not going to get involved with the basketball decisions, which is a good thing, because Leon Rose, he trusts. That being said, if Leon Rose does three first-round picks for OG Anunoby, you can't trust that. You'll look like an idiot. Especially since Zach Levine is now trying to force his way out even more. It seems like it's only down to the Knicks, Miami, and Dallas. Maybe the Lakers if they can make it work. I don't think the Lakers are going to be able to I make it I don't think work. they're going to be able to either because you're trading a $47 million contract with Russell And Westbrook. if Dallas gets Kyrie Irving, there's no way they can no. get Levine. So he's out. And Miami, if you choose between Miami and the Knicks, who do you want to play for? I probably choose to play for the Knicks because one, sneaker deals and endorsements in New York. And two, Miami's falling apart. They're not the same team they were the last two years. Yeah. They're not dominant. And the Knicks could beat them. So you put him with the team that the Knicks have right now in position, they have a better chance of winning in the Eastern Conference than Miami does. So it makes a lot more sense for him to go to New York than it is Miami. I think Dallas is going to get Kyrie Irving. It makes the most sense financially for any team to try to trade for Kyrie Irving. Yeah. I, still, I don't know if you want to go down that rabbit hole. When we come back, we have our guys, Chaz and Wes. The Wessinator will be back. Moneyline Mania. Get your checkbooks out, baby, because we're about to hit the lottery when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. There is a show on our network called Waking bacon. These guys, they are about this show. And why not have them on the show like we always do, as we call this segment, Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Jazz and the crew. Chaz, you're back from Las Vegas, and we have our friend, Worldwide West as well. What's up, Chaz? I had Kelsey. He was my play for the first touchdown and the anytime touchdown. It's just a great way to start a football game hitting that first play, isn't it? It is. You say it about the overs, and it's the same with the anytime touchdown or the first touchdown. You can't give it back. You just cash. When you're betting live, you keep refreshing to wait for that cash to hit. Now you got some WTF money. Throw some of that onto 
another wager within the game. I needed overtime. It dropped to 36 and a half, and I almost hopped on it, but I was already in at 40 and a half, and I said, I want to play craps later, and craps is a tough game. You can't go to a crap table with a small bankroll because it's tough to find anything less than a quarter table. Depending how you're playing, if somebody goes on a roll and throws a dice seven or eight times, you could have your entire bankroll on your first shooter, and he craps out, and you're done <laughs> after one shooter. I was a little hesitant on pulling the trigger on that one and with a catch, and that's the one thing with the live action that, that we do. And Sports Betting Weekly is going to come back as well this year, and that's 100% live action. Now, this year, we're going to track our record because between GMF Sports John and Blackhawk West, it was a fun Thursday night. And it was nice because it really did build our bankroll, West for the weekend. Well, we made a point of giving away a winner. Picking a winner is, is the most important thing. We would make a conscious effort to pick a winner that would cash within 30 minutes. We had times where we went to the commercial, three minutes later we cashed. If you live in a state that has legal sports betting, there's nothing big in sports Sunday morning. Go to church. Say thank you. Because the offerings, when you're used to offshore and then you go to Vegas, you feel like you're gambling in your grandmother's house. The options are so limited. It's just horrible. Where you're having 300 prop options on Bavada, you might have 20 at the real book. You got to go online and online you don't get the paper tickets. I like to have the paper tickets. Once with the paper tickets, I know that if I win, I'm going to get the cash in my hand. If you keep that money in my account, all kinds of stuff that could happen with it. Wes, on the other hand, is great at putting some of that money aside, and he's already got a nest egg on the Chiefs. I'm not going to lay a chunk on it, but what I've been doing, I typically do this with the Super Bowl, is come conference championship week, we're transitioning into basketball and hockey, and while I'm gathering facts and reducing my unit size, when I cash, I treat it the same way as a future bet. 10 bucks out there. If that's my unit size, then I'm going to place a $10 wager on a game. I'll do $5 on that game that I get cash right now, and I'll do the other five parlayed with the Chiefs money line. So by the time we get to Super Bowl Sunday, the Chiefs win. Then the action that I actually want to lay on props and points and things like that, that'll come out of the bankroll. But I'm going to go into Super Sunday with Chiefs money line. Right now it's plus 105. This is not the first time he's done it. The last about a year and a half, two years, out of the seven major events that you could foresee what the final team was that I think this dude's like five for seven. The other aspect when you're rolling over those parlays, we bet every day pretty much. I'll give these two credit more because I sell football so I've been real busy myself. But when he does that, he's got a Thursday night game and he parlays it with the Super Bowl. Then by the time the Super Bowl comes, this dude could have 17 parlays tied to the money line on the Chiefs. And if they're only five and ten dollars each, all of a sudden you got a hundred dollar two-teamer that pays 360 if it's even money. Then what happens if the Chiefs score the first touchdown, they're going to offer you an early cash out. So then the smart move is you take some money off the table. You go up to the guy and say, hey, you know what? The Eagles are up 14 to nothing now. They're going to cover. Why don't you just give me half of the money now? You ain't getting that. That whole cash out option is brilliant because risk aversion in its finest form, right? It is. I think I'm about 50-50 and you call it bad juju, whatever it is. It's called gambling. You make decisions and I've hedged it and didn't need to hedge and you have to get over that. The NFL and quarterbacks, you're on an island with the best guy on the other team. He's going to beat you occasionally. you got to shake it off. There was times, Errol Tulls, we were hitting four out of five. We kind of knew we were hitting four out of five, but we're not worrying about it because we're just catching tickets, and there could be a day you catch one out of five. This is one of the worst weeks when it comes to sports. A week before the Super Bowl, you have the NHL All-Star Game, you have the NBA. By the way, you have the Pro Bowl. The NHL in their All-Star Game format is fun to watch. 
They went to the four divisions instead of the conference. They do a 20-minute game, and the over-under right now on goals in the first 20-minute game is 11 and a half. Five out of the eight goalies, it's their first all-star game. The NHL and the NBA, I think, are alike, where there is a pride, and it does matter to these players to, to make the all-star Well, game. they're not the playing total, full squads, either. They're playing three-on-three. Three. They're 12-men teams. I remember we bet them last year, and I think one of the games went under. They got four teams. They play each other, and then the winners play each other, and right. that's who wins. All the lines were double digits. Now, Wes, is there going to be anything as unlikely as the uh, John Scott MVP year? I don't think so. Looking at the rosters, I kind of like the Geezer squad. I like the Metro with Sidney Crosby and Ovech, and then Johnny Hockey is great to watch. I think he might show up. Then they got Panarin in the picture, and I think out of all the first-time goalies, Shesterkin is the best. The Shesterkin most. is the best? Igor! I, out of all the goalies that are in the All-Star game, I believe he's the best. Sorokin has been better than he has been all year. How could you say that Shesterkin Sturkin is the best. He's really been the fifth or sixth best goalie. Last year, he was fantastic. This year, Sorokin's right now in the top three. Olmark has been the best goalie this year. It hasn't even been close. I would add Jake Ottinger in that mix. If you look at the three best goalies, going to be up for the goaltender of the year. Sorokin's number three right now. You have the Boston goaltender and Ottinger. To say Shesterkin's the best, he was the best last year. This year, he's not. Not one of those names that I know. But I could be betting the final four teams in the NHL playoffs, and I would then probably know who the goalies are but don't you as an all-star don't you always get a little credit for the year before if we're equal and we both had the same year but last year you didn't have a good year and i had a good year or a great year last year they kind of sometimes ride on their own coattails don't they they do but fazilovsky has been the best goalie in the nhl for nine years untouchable but in the last year year and a half shesterkin last year winning goaltender of the year he had a fantastic year but this year he started off very very slow he started to pick up the before the All-Star break, and he's been very, very good. But has he been the best? No. Hey, I'm down not to 29. I've gone all the way down to the 42nd goalkeeper on the standings, the stat sheets. Mm. I don't see one Italian name. <laughs> no. Consistency is what you want to look for. And the most consistent goalie in the NHL is Vasilovsky. He's not having a good year. This is the first year Vasilovsky's not in the top five, but that has a lot to do with the young talent that is in the NHL. I agree with you about Vasilovsky, but Shesterkin's had some big goal losses. Just capability and the way that he's going to show up in the playoffs. We're talking regular season. The Rangers have had some weird losses. I keep making deposits on the Rangers to win the conference because I think come playoff time, he's going to show up in so are they? They got a great roster when they're healthy, but they have odd losses. And I realize it was Halak, but they lost five to two to Chicago. Who loses to Chicago, let alone five to two? The Rangers just have some weird moments where the defense isn't showing up, and he's in odd position. Shesterkin, how many playoffs has he been in? One. He's been in one, and his first round last year. Was it a good first round? He was horrible against the Pittsburgh Penguins. If the Rangers would have lost that first round, it would have been because of him. The second and third round, he played fantastic. He kept up with Vasilovsky. Vasilovsky out-goaltended him in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's one of the reasons why Tampa won. In the second round, he was fantastic. Am I going to bet that Shesterkin is going to have an unbelievable playoff run? He is not Henrik Lundqvist. I agree with you. He's a great goaltender. He's a top five goalie right now in the NHL. The best? I'm sorry. I would disagree with you. 
out of the goalies in this All-Star. The New York because guy is Errol, against his own guy. I really don't think he's the top three goaltender in this All-Star game. Errol had mentioned it's a weird week, and one of the things that I've always done this week in my shows is futures. Who's going to win? You're still getting some double-digit odds on the good teams. Did you have the Lightning? Last year, I liked Carolina, and I liked yeah. Florida. I, I had the Cup. Avalanche, yeah, yeah. Carolina, and I had Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup. I write for Vegas Insider. If these guys are kind enough to put money in my account, the least I could do is use them and prop them up a little bit because they do some great stuff. But they've got it now as Boston, plus 480. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a team that started incredibly hot. They're still hot. and They've only lost seven games. (laughs) What do you think, Wes? Plus 480 is a really high number. That's like a Kentucky Derby favorite when you see those numbers, right? There's value, and if it ended right now, they'd be playing against Pittsburgh. That matchup, the records don't matter. That becomes pretty bloody. You just can't count out some of those players in Pittsburgh. But that's value. Plus 480 for the number one seed in the conference, the best record in the league. The Western Conference, the top three, I don't believe in as much as I do in the East. The only downside about having a Boston Bruins future is that you got to listen to Boston people. And they're obnoxious. People bash Philly, and I've known guys from both. I like the Boston guys better than the Philly guys, but I don't really like the Boston guys. I just like them better than the Philly guys. They're obnoxious. And by the way, just because Boston has the best record and they're dominating right now does not mean they're winning the Stanley Cup. Hockey is so wishy-washy. If you look, the Rangers are 20, Edmonton's 18, Vegas 15, Jersey 14, Dallas 15, Tampa Bay 12. Remember, Tampa Bay, they won two in a row, and they were like 7-1 the third year. The year that St. Louis won the Cup, I believe they were the five seed. Yeah, they were third in their division, I think fifth overall. That was the year the kid won all that money on the future bet. St. Louis, like $150 at like $1,500 or something. This is an odd year. Everything is in the East. All the top points in the top teams uh, appear to be in the East, and it's almost not fair because if you were to take two or three of the teams out of the East, like if you were to remove even New Jersey and Carolina. Maybe we should call the CFL, Wes, and have them do that crossover. The only other thing I'm looking at, college, basketball futures too. That's that whole prop swap. Thing. And it's a marketplace for props. So now, whenever I buy a future, I buy two. I picked up Saturday. They're 85 to 1. And on the Derby watch, I bet him the morning of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Got him at 85 to 1. He ran. He was there. He was in mid pack, like fifth. And then he just kind of sputtered out. But these are the best horses in the world at this point that are two year olds. The difference between a two year old and a three year old is a big difference. Well, this is a justify horse, and he comes out in an allowance race, not in any points for the the derby race and he crushes them easy winner and now he's 20 to 1 so i'm gonna put it on prop swap this weekend and try to see if i can get somebody to middle me i did it with you kind anytime you can lose your future bet and have a positive roi how do you not take that opportunity purdue that kid, I really had seen him play, but I didn't watch him. And I watched him Sunday morning because I had $30 on him. I was looking to double up. It was like Yao Min was playing for Purdue. Zach Eady, yeah, he's insane. He's so big. He's a good so, player. Purdue has a great I'm history of big men, and he might be better than all of them. I'm looking at NBA tomorrow evening. As crazy as it sounds, through all this madness that's gone on with the Memphis Grizzlies, I like Toronto to beat them. Toronto's getting points, and the line keeps moving. But anything above three, I'm going to play Toronto and I'm going to play the money line. Toronto has a look.
look bad. Memphis is a mess. It's a perfect spot for them to lose. And the NBA in general, who knows who's choosing to win or lose, who's choosing to play or not. Kyrie Irving is not choosing to win. That guy seems like he's got more issues than anybody I've ever heard in the NBA. He is a despicable human being. Rodman had Madonna a few times. Oh, Rodman is nowhere close to this guy. Rodman actually has common sense. This guy doesn't know if the earth is flat, it's round. (laughs) I don't know where his brain is. I don't even know if his brain's in his head. It might be in his ass. The guy's an idiot. I think he's a talented player. One of the most talented players I've ever seen play basketball. The problem with him, he'll always be remembered as an idiot. He's Antonio Brown. What an analogy. Mental illness is a big part of life. Life is hard. Life in America is hard. Yeah, for those people that own half of Wichita and real estate dealers, it's different. I'm talking about the rest of those people that are grinding for a living out there. Everything that I've heard about Kyrie Irving, he has no mental illness. Whoever raised him, raised him to be an idiot. Because the guy went to Duke. He's a smart guy. He had a 3.9 grade point average when he went into Duke. This guy hurt his foot freshman year. Just getting into Duke. Yes. They don't accept dummies. But for some reason, after this kid became an NBA player, I think his brains just scattered all over the basketball court. Because the guy just doesn't know where he is. And he doesn't know who he is. And he thinks that he's better than everybody else. And he can say whatever he wants on social media. He can speak up and attack anything he sees. And and he thinks it's okay. He doesn't belong in the NBA. He doesn't deserve to make millions and millions of dollars. What he deserves to do, sit at home in a dark room and realize he's a complete moron. Go play Call of Duty with Kyler Murray. Anything but film room. Next Saturday, yes. I'm not sure if Wes will be here. I'll plan on being here. You didn't get a ticket, so you're not going to Arizona, right? No, I didn't get the ticket. There's a certain percentage of the stadium that goes to each team. The way the Chiefs have done it their last three Super Bowls, they draw the names into a lottery. And when that comes up, you got the opportunity to then spend $2,500 on your nosebleeds. Did you want to spend $2,500? Their face value. How many years did you end up getting paid more money in the tickets you sold than you paid for the packet. It's every year. I typically sell the first game of the year because we're still 90 degrees in KC. I want nothing to do with that. I would rather go to 9 degrees than 90 degrees. Well, plus, you're still but rocking and rolling at Worlds of Fun, too. Or... Yeah, and now, because Mahomes is the icon that he is, the Chiefs get a lot of primetime games. I plan on selling three games Dallas brings back more money. Minnesota, believe it or not, brings back a really good amount of money. Next year, Denver's going to be great. I always the same way. When the Chargers were here, I I knew (laughs) season ticket holders. When Green Bay came into town, forget about it. How much is it a year to have season tickets over there in Kansas City? I know it's really expensive here in New York. There's different seats. I'm on year nine. My pricing is probably not the same to the person that has them today. The guy signing up today is paying 500 bucks a seat, and he's going on the waiting list. I'm 14 rows off the field. Both tickets. For both seats, the total is like two bucks. That's yeah. pretty good. Can't beat that, and right? My playoff invoice typically comes in October, five fifty. The first round, I quadrupled my money, which ended up giving me beer money plus the conference finals free. So I typically sell until I have what's comfortable as the increase for next year. Put it on the S and P five hundred. Look at you, man, an entrepreneur. This guy is making money on houses. This guy's a chef, betting man. He's making money all over the place. So you're not trying. You're not trying. That's it. Baby. My father always told me, you're not going to be wealthy if you're not making money in so many different areas. So Revenue streams are great, but yeah. you know what's better? Sirdahi, I'm out. Always be, <laughs> always be cashing. Oh, <laughs> money line mania with Wes and Chaz. Fantastic guys. Wes is making a lot of money. Chaz is eating his ahi. When we come back, we will have our very good friend, Wisconsin sophomore cornerback, Al Ashford, here on the Weekend Crunch. We 
are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Arch, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows live, all our stories, every single week live on the World Wide Sports Radio website. Our very, very special friend and special guy and a fan of the show, and we're very happy to have him on. We are now talking to Wisconsin sophomore cornerback, Al Ashford. Al, what's up, man? What's going on? How y'all doing? I like those glasses, man. Those shades. What I like those? the shades and yeah, the hats. Man. I pulled up in them to class. It was still light outside nice. when I went. Got out of there, man. It was dark. I was just like chilling with him, man. Stop had showing a, had off, a good man. day, though, man. Can't complain. Pretty penny over there, huh? Shout out Sunglass Hunt trying to hook the guys up. Game yeah. days, we get hooked up, man, mm. with the suits. They be trying to help guys out getting some shades. So we're throwing some good discounts, man. I'm loving it, man. I have the same glasses, by the way. I'll send you a picture of me wearing the same glasses as you, but I love you, man, but I don't like the hat. I like the hat. Don't worry. Hey, man, listen. I'm going to rep how my team shocked the world, man. We we did what everyone thought we weren't going to do. I just think that represents what we are as a team. But not only that, as a fan base, because I feel like, man, I took some adversity to it, and I felt it with these guys, Mm. man. I know how it feels to be counted out and to make it happen. Still got work to do. We're going to be somebody, man. I'm telling you. Look at you. Look at you, man. Blue coming back. Well, look yeah. at that. Maybe you'll be a big blue guy in the very near future. That'd be crazy, man. I, I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. You'd man. fall over and die. I know you. <laughs> Don't worry. When you get drafted, you can replace Darnay Hobbs, and I'll take you as an upgrade. <laughs> How are you and your family doing? I know you're a big family man. I see all the pictures that you post up on Instagram. How's your father doing? How's your mom doing? How's the fam? Man, we can't complain. We're blessed, man. My mom recently actually just got a new promotion. Good for her. Um, she got a, She got a big director of diversity and inclusion job. That's a big deal, man. Gonna be helping out the family so much more. My dad's still working for the state of Colorado, doing his thing, uh, working in cellular communications. He up on telephone poles and stuff, man. Oh, man. It's cold out there, though, so he'd be calling me up from some high towers telling me it's frozen <laughs> up there, but... Tell him to stay safe. As long as he's not oh, climbing a sure, mountain man. doing electric stuff. No, nah, yeah. I have to have him send me some videos. He has to go on snowcats a lot of times. Oh, <laughs> wow. To go work on some 400, 500 foot towers. He's out of his mind. I'm not going up for a 500 nah, foot. Nah, yeah. Possible wilder, man. He got out the Marines. That dude going to work an interesting job, man. And he's doing well for you. He's a successful son doing what he's doing in Wisconsin. We are talking to Wisconsin sophomore cornerback Al Ashford. Al, you have a new coach, Luke Fickle, very well known, an Ohio State Buckeye from Hart. He decides to shift over there from Cincinnati and go over there and coach the Badgers. I am not a Badger guy, but I love Luke Fickle. What was your thoughts when you heard that the Badgers were going to bring in Luke Fickle? Change is always tough, especially being that Coach Chris and that staff have been here for so long. Being that, you know, all the guys there got recruited by those that staff. Nobody was kind of newer. There were some young guys, but they still got recruited by that staff. We all had a close connection to them. It was real abrupt. Got alerted like, hey, Coach Fickle's the coach. We didn't even know anything. At first, you know, obviously you're kind of upset because you're not going to have that same connection with those coaches you had before. But then I started researching Coach Fickle and I seen that video of him in Cincinnati's locker room doing pull-ups after they won. (laughs) 
And I was like, man, I play for this dude. I'm ready. So, yeah, that's all it took to sell me, man. I think we're going to be excellent, man. I, I love the way the coaches have communicated what they want to do from the strength staff down. There's a lot of locked-in guys, man. Everybody real excited right now. Culture-wise with Coach Fickle so far, both with his personality and also the way he has run the team, how has it been different in comparison to Paul Christ, who is a veteran guy? Being that it is still so kind of early, because a lot of the times the coaches have been on the road, and it's really been us with the strength coaches. I can't really speak to that part in terms of how different they are, but I can say... When you know someone like a Coach Chris for so long, it becomes so comfortable. You only know somebody for a few months, like a month now or two months. You're not going to have that same kind of connection right away. It takes time. Al, you play the cornerback position, and Mr. Fickle developed arguably one of the best corners in the NFL right now in Sauce Gardner. Spoke high of himself, was drafted by the Jets, yours truly team, and then just went out there and played this year and became elite cornerback in his first year. Now you have the same coach over there coaching you. Do you see yourself as another guy that can learn under one of the better coaches in the NCAA that could get you to the higher position that you want to play and maybe be an NFL cornerback in the future? Oh, definitely, man. Just seeing the fact that a guy like Sauce Gardner, he wasn't a highly touted recruit. He was a guy that they recruited and, and they developed there at Cincinnati. Me being a guy that, although I was recruited to Wisconsin and I played under a different staff, I feel like I still had that openness and willingness to learn that. If they really give me that opportunity to learn from them, I, th- I think I could definitely do something real similar or even better, man. The intensity they bring to the table every day, from what I hear about strength and conditioning to even how Coach Fickle carries himself, if I can get some of that to rub off, man, I, I can mess around and make something happen. And I see how guys like Sauce Gardner, why they are the way they are, especially being developed under the tutelage of a guy like Coach Fickle. We saw in certain stretches with the Seahawks when they had the Legion of Boom with these long corners started to be a big thing now. And then it kind of died out. A lot of the younger corners that got good right away were quicker guys. But now somebody like Sauce and some of these other youngsters, you think that kind of trend will come back where these longer corners were going to be the new wave of the league again? Definitely, man. I might be a little biased because I am a longer corner. A lot of times longer corners kind of get put into this box where I feel like they look at us like we're just a utility DB. Like we can play at the safety role as well. If they need to slide us in the slot, we can. Or we can guard tight ends a lot of times a lot of long corners aren't put on that island you only got a handful that really get put into that role and i love how the young ones nowadays are doing it like a patrick certain trayvon diggs even though he's a long corner and he's really trying to taking that island over or xavier howard who's a longer corner Jalen ramsey it's definitely a great thing to have just because so much of the height that you're seeing on the outside now receivers are so tall and they're jumping out the gym man and a lot of times having a guy that is close to as tall and just as athletic and maybe even jump higher that's great thing to have. We are talking to Wisconsin sophomore cornerback Al Ashford. Al, there's a lot of interesting changes in the NCAA or the portal. A player could just jump ship one year and jump ship another year and go wherever they want. You have Luke Fickle there. Did you ever think Wisconsin decided to bring in Fickle that you were going to put yourself in the portal and maybe look elsewhere to play? I can't say that I did. I had a mentor. His name's Dave Logan. Coach Logan played for the CU Buffs and then he played for the Cleveland Browns for a while. Actually was drafted in the MLB, the NBA, and NFL. Yes. He's one of the few, one of the three guys ever did that. And he told me, he said, you don't commit to a coaching staff. You commit to a program. You commit to a city. You commit to a brand. He told me that from here on out, the degree that I get from that brand 
and the city that I started to play for, he was saying, like, that's how you go about it. Like, that's the right way to do it. I love Wisconsin, whether it was going to be anybody here, man. So as long as they was going to give me an opportunity to play ball, I was going to be here, man. I didn't think once about it. I was like, shoot, man, I just hope you bring in somebody really good. <laughs> there were news about the Big Ten potentially getting UCLA and USC now added to the conference, in addition to big powerhouses, Michigan, Ohio State, and then you guys in the West. What do you think that rivalry aspect and maybe travel aspect will be like for those teams and also potentially for these East and West teams also merging together into one division? The best thing I can say, man, I went to Ohio State this year. Before the game of the season, I got to play against Ohio State. Right before it gets really cold, so it was like right on that cusp where I had my arms out, but it was right on that, like, oh, this is kind of cold. And I got to see how the really cold games are. I would pray, like, it's going to be great that we get to go maybe to L.A. for mm. some games of the season if we get to play <laughs> USC. So that's how I feel about it. It could be warm. Shoot, that'd be great. Hold on one second. You're from upstate New York, and you're complaining about the cold? This cold we got over here, we had a week where we didn't have a day that was over eight degrees. I like that weather. <laughs> I was going to come visit you uh, now. We're not practicing outside. Come so. on, Al. I would be out there with flip-flop shorts and a wife beater. You don't know me, man. <laughs> hey, that's what's up. Hey, more power to you, man. That's how some of our old linemen be. Them guys do that, man. I'm a guy. I'm going to be layered up. I got play. you. We are talking to Wisconsin sophomore cornerback, our friend Al Ashford. Which is colder, Wisconsin or Colorado? Wisconsin gets less snow. Colorado gets a lot more snow. And I don't know if that's just because of where it's at in the country and the mountains on it. But I can say in terms of temperature, Wisconsin is significantly colder, at least from where I live in Colorado. But there are parts of Colorado I've been to up in the mountains where it's the coldest thing I've ever felt in my life. There was one time we went up on Pikes Peak, which is like 14,000 oh, yeah. Man, I was up there. They have like a little railroad that takes you to the top <laughs> of the peak. You get to look over. You're above the clouds. It just was like in the negative degrees. It was so cold. I remember that being one of the coldest things I ever experienced. This parts of Colorado is pretty cold, but I say from where I live, like in terms of Denver, Colorado, and where I went to high school at, compared to the University of Wisconsin, Wisconsin is definitely colder. So what is the coldest moment either on or off the field that you had in Wisconsin? We had a spring ball practice. It started raining, and then this random fog came in and froze everything. Wow. So your helmets, everybody's visors are completely frozen. We had to pop everybody's visors. <laughs> I remember I was wearing gloves, and I was great because they were still kind of dry. So my hands were cold, but they were so dry until I had a pass breakup where I dove and I slid. So my hands were like completely soaked and frozen, and they were cut, so they bleeding. I'm just sitting there just frozen. That was probably my maybe my welcome to college football moment right there. I was like, man, I really love football because there's no other way I'd be out in this weather right here. It's almost below zero right now, and you're wearing sunglasses. Now, I do be sunny, though, man. I can't complain. Madison, it's definitely better than how it was back in Rochester in terms of sunny days, man. Mm. We get a lot more sunny days. I love it, man. Maybe oh. he's just rolling with the Corey Hart song. He wears his sunglasses at night. <laughs> <laughs> I wear my sunglasses at night. No question, Al. I could see you go to a club with the sunglasses. Stop, pop, lock, and drop it. I just be chilling, man. I went to the gym. I was driving, and it was just when, like, that sunlight was coming <laughs> down, and the sun's, like, pointing straight in. So I was wearing them, and then I ran into hop in with you guys so I just left him on I was like they think it's pretty cool yeah. absolutely man we had Jeremy Mincy on ex-NFL player on last week and he was wearing sunglasses and shades and I was like oh, yeah. man I mean how much are those glasses over there he's like I can't tell you but they're nice <laughs> I was like okay Jeremy he's a producer now he's retired eight years in the NFL and fantastic people we interview a lot of nice people including you who's been a friend of the show we've seen you grow and I want you to stay healthy man how is your health you've had knee problems you've had shoulder problems where are you at right now I'm close, man. I feel like finally getting to rebuild my foundation from a solid foundation in terms of being an athlete. A lot 
lot of my injuries I've had were actually injuries that I kind of beat up over time. Like I had happened to me and I never really got a fix and I kept trying to push it. And just being tough, I didn't want to sit myself down. That ended up hurting me kind of down the road. So I was able to learn from those experiences. And now I'm at a point where I rehab and I'm going to continue to go hard and rehab. And I'm really rebuilding that foundation. So, man, it, I think it's going to be scary. They told me I was still jumping a 39 and a half inch vertical. Wow. I was still broad jump 10-5. And that was when they told me that the left hip I had, I had left hip surgery. I only had 30 to 40% full function in my left leg. Mm. And I was still able to do all that stuff. So I was thinking in my head, you got the surgery. I'm like, it's about to be scary if I get full. I just even yeah. close to had left, full function. I just had left hip surgery too, my labrum. Same thing. What did they do? Arthroscopic? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, man. I couldn't walk for a month, man. I was on crutches for a month. That's horrible. Absolutely yeah, no, I was horrible. around here in the cold, man. The blessing was the team, you know, the coaches and the player personnel people here they they flew my mom out she was able to stay in my apartment with me help take care of me for a few days Aww, and just, you know, cook, cook some meals leave, leave some stuff from the crock pot man i got some great family i got family in chicago who drove down to visit me and dropped off plates of food and they always trying to feed me so i appreciate it stop making me jealous man the things that happen is tough and injuries suck me i look at my career so far and although i thought of myself like i could really contribute to my team for the last two years i've only got to play four games right even in my four games even when i just finally got to start showcasing my talent and was really starting to kind of pick it up it got cut short but i think to whom much is given much is earned i gotta work through it and i know god's not gonna give me nothing more than i can and that i can handle so i'm just excited for what's gonna come in my future man and excited for just what type of ball player i'm gonna be now that i ain't worried about nothing everything fixed now ain't nothing <laughs> you can't teach length and you have it that's something that is going to help you move forward not only in your college career but maybe your pro career yes sir i appreciate that another big thing with college football has been the nil deals have you gotten any of those endorsements or offers there's a couple that really wanted to work with me and even like guys on my team and there was some team kind of collective deals that wanted to work with a lot of guys and yeah it hasn't been too big of an issue for me like I haven't really been too tapped in with NIL I've really been focused on just kind of learning about my finances we get stipend checks each month so I'm really learning about saving and I've been really studying on investing getting into paying attention to my credit man I'm trying to be the first homeowner in my family man so I'm Look really trying you, to pay man. attention to that stuff and just learn about it man so that's really been my focus man I feel like NIL and all that stuff if you ball you get the call so I'd rather ball out first you, you know? tell him man you ball out man why not our boy Al Ashford a homeowner a rich homeowner hopefully playing for his New York Giants. We are talking to Wisconsin sophomore cornerback Al Ashford. Al, you have a quarterback that's from Long Island. Right. Jack Cohn, who played for Sable. This guy was one of the best quarterbacks to come out of Long Island. Tell us a little bit about him, what you know about him, and his development as a quarterback over there in Wisconsin. I didn't get to actually practice or anything with Cohn because as soon as I came into college as an early enrollee, Cohn had just had his injury and the COVID season was injured, and that's when Graham kind of got his shot it was interesting man because i remember the year before when they went to that rose bowl and i was a commit hearing all the stories about him i heard he was a dog he was a hard worker and then when we played against him when he went to notre dame he had a solid game until he got hurt he wasn't bad at all mm -hmm. he's an athletic kid he could take a hit definitely had a big 10 arm for sure a lot of them big 10 quarterbacks are sling that thing jack Cohn, i heard some great things about him man and then it's tough the reality of college football is not everyone that was a good guy or that mm -hmm. guy's like is always going to stay with the same team sucks that he had to go play for 
for Notre Dame, but congrats to him that he did get to go play for Notre Dame and have that experience, man. He did commit to Wisconsin like you did. He was there for a little bit, and then he decided to portal his way to Notre Dame. What did a player like Will Johnson from Michigan, I don't know if you've had any conversations with him, what does he need to do to go from great to elite? I've watched some tape on him. He's a dog, man. I love his hands at the line. I like the way he plays with his feet. You don't see him in trail technique a lot. You don't see him beat a lot. He's always pretty much in phase. He stays on top a lot. I love the way he plays aggressive at the point of contact. You see him try to attack at the ball. You see as soon as guys do catch the ball, he's grabbing them up. So that move from great to elite, I think even can come with just time, man. Like I think of me as a freshman in college football compared to what I am now and how I've seen my game grow. I can only imagine what he sees for himself and continue to work hard like he probably has. What could be? So, yeah, man, he's a dog. He's a heck of a player, man. We are talking to Wisconsin sophomore cornerback Al Ashford. Is there a particular player in the NFL right now that you have watched this past year and what you're trying to build your game around that you can predict that people are going to see this year in 2023 that you're going to play like? There's actually a couple of players that I could kind of say parts of their game that I really think that will be shown during my game. I can't really pick one player particularly just because mm-hmm. I'm a little different. I love the way that Jalen Ramsey was uh, attacking players at the line this year. He was pressing dudes. You see him making tackles. He was getting sacks. And I definitely think people are going to see that side of my game, that aggressive side. But also, I'm going to try to definitely incorporate some of the great safety play I've seen this year out of guys like Derwin James when it comes to block destruction, when it comes to the way I'm attacking receivers and tight ends that come up to block me or at the point of contact tackling. And then when it comes to playing the ball in the air, I'm trying to play that thing like Asante Samuels. You feel me? <laughs> that three picks and what happened, kind of crazy. For some guys, it's really easy to just sit there and jump routes. For me, man, it's a little harder. I'm a guy that I always love to play technically sound. Guys like that who can play technically sound and jump routes, a guy like Asante Samuels can do stuff like that. I just only aspire to be more Stop. like Stop. You're man. better than Asante Samuel. I understand how good his father was, and I liked Asante Samuel Jr. Where he was drafted and where he fell to the Chargers, I think he's a good player. He's a little overrated. That game that he had against the Jaguars was a good first half and then he completely disappeared in the second half. And I don't want to hear about the coaching because if you're a shutdown corner, you don't let any of those wide receivers get open like they did in that game. Kirk should never have been open in the second half of that game the way he was. And that has a lot to do yeah, with y'all seen that route he had against Yeah. The yeah. A thing of beauty. If you want to be considered a shutdown corner or an elite corner like a Stingley Stingley proved to me this year on a crappy team like the Texans why the Texans decided to pick him over Sauce, even though Sauce is a way better player than Stingley. Stingley had a great season. He just wasn't better than Sauce. When you look at some of these corners that have been drafted, and the NFL is trying to transition that technical end over the years where these guys, like Darrell Rivas, he liked to, at a point of attack, he wanted to hit you at the line of scrimmage before you can run your route. Now you have these corners that can do that, then stick with you like glue, and they're so long, and they have the ability to jump the way they do, like you do, where you can just intercept the ball at any point. So I think the game has really changed, and I think the corners have to be better, have to be faster, have to be. I got a question for Mm -hmm. you, man. Why why don't you think anyone's putting respect on Damon Pierce? I have no idea. Damon Pierce is nice. I've been watching a lot of tape. Damon Pierce did his thing this year, man. No question. With the NFL, in the last two years, there have been some really good corners that were drafted. And when you talk about the past, the Petersons, the Revis, the Haydens, all these guys that dominated the league— 
And now you have the new transition of guys like Fitzpatrick. These guys are transitioning the game. The safety play. You have corners turning into safety. Well, I love that Broncos secondary this year. Oh, Broncos yeah. secondary was actually certain. To me, Pat Sertain is yeah. to me the best corner in the league, if not number two behind Jalen Ramsey. And then Sauce, I can't even put a number one. If I had a top three of yeah. guys that stood out to me this year, them three, man. Well, the two corners that made it to the All-Pro team was Sauce and Sertain. As far as what the NFL looks at, numbers, percentages, those guys were the dominant four. But there's so many good young corners in the NFL. And Woolen from leading, Seattle. Man. He's fast. He can jump. I seen this one play he had. He was fully beat. He was in trail, man. Guy had five yards of separation on him. And dude just put his head down and kept running. And then turned at the last second. Played the guy's hands. Knocked the ball out of mm. his hands. Yeah, I think it was against Great the play. Niners. I think it was Juwan Jennings. I love those effort plays, man. When I see stuff like that, that stands out to me. And I remember guys from stuff like that. Having that effort and playing with that swag, man. There's been a lot of great DB play this year. One of my favorite things to do. There's these NFL little highlights tapes where they'll mm-hmm. put just wide receiver and DB play for each week, one-on-ones, and it'll just show kind of reps, and it'll be like 15 minutes. I'll sit there and watch that and just maybe watch how D-Hop releases all, like 18 times, mm-hmm. and watch Devontae Adams and look at his slide release and how he's all pretty with his feet, and see if I how I was strapped it, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I'll sit there and do that all day. That's why I think watching the corner play and how precise that you have to be, and you have to run routes like the wide receivers. You have to keep up with the wide receivers, and a lot of these defenses are run man-to-man now. I know a lot of coaches like the Jets and Robert Sal, he likes to run zone. Zone doesn't work when you play against dominant wide receivers, guys that can go out there and you have to double team. And Robert Sala had a lot of problems in the second half stopping some of these good wide receivers, these fast wide receivers. You have to learn how to play man-to-man. You have to be a dominant force and shut down one side of the field and you need that one guy. So I think every team needs that guy. There's just not many corners. As good as these corners that we speak about, there are not many shut down corners in the NFL. I would say there's about five of them. I'm going to put him on there. He's going to shut down the whole left side. In the development, like you said, Patrick Sertain, he's fantastic. Sauce Garner, another one. Fantastic. Even DJ Reed. Did you see what DJ Reed did with the Jets this year on the other side? He was just as good as Sauce Garner was, but Sauce was looked at because he was a rookie, and you've heard what Sauce said. DJ Reed, his growth as a player really transitioned because of what DJ Reed was teaching him on the field. So, you mm-hmm. need those type of players. You're going into this season. The Wisconsin Badgers, they have a new coaching staff, new everything. Where do you see this Badger team this year in the NCAA? I'm always going have high expectations for us, man, especially since I'm playing. That's how I feel. <laughs> I know one thing's for certain. I want to win a Big Ten championship, man. I hated getting close last two years, and then we losing a game right before we about to make it to the Big Ten chip, or putting it in somebody else's hands, like somebody else has to lose for us to get in. And I hate that, man. I just want to get to that game, because I know if we get there, we can win. I see us having some real good games, like a real good record. It's going to be fun. I like the schedule. I feel like we have a lot of good teams we're playing against, but also when we're playing against them, I feel like it's Based out pretty well. It's not going to be like we're on the road so many weeks in a row. We get a good mix of home and away games. So I feel like they set us up for some success this year, man. It's different than high school ball. It's easy to go to sleep in your bed, get up, and have that same routine. And then when you're kind of forced out of that routine, and now it's like I'm in the hotel room. I got a roommate now next to me. I ain't oh, got you got those fancy shades. You don't need no roommate. I wish I was able to just go say that to coaches. That How's the Wisconsin girls over there, man? <laughs> I couldn't tell you, man. I recently got a new 
car, man. I got a new vehicle. I was Ooh. blessed to get a Land Rover, man. Real excited about that. Look at you, man. Man, I've been decking my car out, man. I can't I'm sure lie. you are. I've been filling my car, decking out my apartment. I got that new Xbox. I've been on the game. And then recently, they finally cleared me to start kind of getting back into boxing again, Look which was you. one of my loves as a kid. Well, so, be careful, you know, man. We don't want you to get injured. Oh, no, anymore, no, no. Man. I'm not sparring or nothing. I'm just kind of doing a little bit of the bag work, Come keeping on, my man. hands fresh. And it's something we were conditioning, man. So. I can help you with that. We'll do video Zoom. Stay away from the gym. I don't want you getting no, hurt anymore. Errol's going to come up if you hear an eight degree weather. He's been waiting for it all year. <laughs> I don't understand it. We're here in Long Island. We're in the middle of the winter and we've had one day that was in the teens. Last week, it was 50 degrees. It was 55 degrees. In the winter time, in the middle of the winter, this global warming's killing us. People don't realize this is not good. It's wild. I don't know about all that stuff. I don't want to scare you. I man. feel you, man. They've been teaching us a little bit of stuff up here. I've had some classes talking about environmental sciences, everything that's kind of going on. And the one thing I can say is I feel like I've been blessed to live in some places where I'm not so affected, I feel like. They do tell us the lake pollution is the thing they're really worried about here up here in Wisconsin. Yeah. So I'll be feeling for that, man, especially because I see how some people really enjoy the lakes. In the summertime, how popping it is. I'll hate for people to miss out on that fun for that just because of some pollution. We love you, man. We're going to get you on again when the season starts. I want to see how your legs are doing, your hips doing. I know what you were feeling when you had your hip surgery, and I know what it takes to get that hip back. You're younger than I am, so your body is in a position where it can heal faster. My body it took forever, and I'm still not at 100%, so it sucks. I'm happy that everything's going good for you, man, and keep up the good work. We'll get you on soon, and fly your way, man, with the Land Rover. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good one, man. Y'all you too, easy. man. Too. Keep up the good work, man. The great and powerful Al, ladies and gentlemen. Not Oz. It is Al. Fantastic. I love him. The only thing I hate about him is he's a Giant fan. Any place for Wisconsin. Yeah, that sounds like two grudges that you have. The Giants make sense. You're a Jets fan. Wisconsin. Why does everybody random. not understand? I don't like the Badgers. <laughs> but yes, Al, fantastic guy. Great personality. Love the shades. Wonderful shades. I have the same shades. I love Al. I believe he's going to play very, very well under the new coaching staff over there. And I think he's going to flourish. And maybe very, very soon we'll see him in the NFL. And maybe for your Giants. I know he would love to do oh, that. Oh, he would absolutely love to do that. And the Giants, they definitely could use some corners. Hopefully he gets to play a lot more this year, too, because he definitely has the capability to start, especially with his length. A hundred percent. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our stories, all our shows. They are live. We have a Cincinnati show called The Wise Guys. We have Game On with Josh Silverberg, who was a part of this show and the Sports Loudmouth, Wake and Bake, The Herd, The Buffalo Bills Show, and The Sports Loudmouth, which airs every Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. with me and Speedy. Great guests, great content, and great callers. Tune in. It's very, very funny. And now, Speedy, it is time for Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! Got to see the pitch. 
All right, let's start with a little football. Buy or sell. Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers will be a New York Jet before the Super Bowl. I will sell that. It will be after the Super Bowl. The main reasons why is Vegas is not looking to trade him until the end of the Super Bowl. I have four days after the Super Bowl to move him or let him go to free agency. Aaron Rodgers still needs to sit down with the Green Bay Packers. He's right now away. He needs a little bit of time. I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one too. I think the Packers are still going to try to be stingy and try to get the multiple first round picks, which I don't think they're going to get, but I think they're still going to push hard for it. And I think the Raiders are going to mess up and not be able to trade Carr at all. The rumors right now is they're going to have to cut him. They're going to have a lot of dead cap against him. And then I think the Jets will end up getting him. They're not going to have to trade anything. I am going to sell that. The Rangers will end up with one of Timo Meyer or Patrick Kane. I'm going to sell that. I think they have a better chance of getting Vladimir Tarasenko. I've said that. The NHL segment, I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I just don't know if financially it makes a lot of sense for Patrick Kane with the Rangers having to deal a lot of depth. Timo Meyer, the Sharks are going to want a lot for him. And the Rangers are going to have to trade a lot of their young players on their active roster. I think it's just going to be a lot of smaller trades like you had last year just to get some more depth, maybe some defense. I think Jacob Chitrin, if there's a bigger name that the Rangers could trade for, makes a lot of sense with their pattern. I don't want it, but the Rangers love to trade for a lot of these offensive defensemen, but I don't think they're going to get any of those wingers. I am going to sell that. Kyrie Irving will be traded somewhere other than the Lakers. I'm going to buy that. I think he's getting traded. The Nets already know that he doesn't want to come back. He's a free agent in the offseason, and they need something back for him, especially for all the trade pieces they made to get James Harden. Now he's with the 76ers, and they got nothing back for him. So I am going to buy that. That one I will sell because I think GM LeBron will find a way to make it work. He always does this with the players that he wants most, and especially with all the character issues Kyrie Irving has, I don't know if a lot of these other teams are going to want to take a chance on it. The Lakers are a lot like the Nets, kind of stuck with a lot of these draft picks. I think they'll have to trade some of them to get rid of Russell Westbrook, but I do think they'll find a way to make it work. There's a lot of teams in the Western Conference that are really bad this year. They're going to take on his contract for some extra draft picks and just buy it out. GM LeBron loves doing this kind of stuff. Will it work? I don't know, but he's going to want to try and have one last-ditch effort with the Lakers. I am going to sell it. Sean Payton signed a massive five-year deal with the Broncos. He will not last all five of those years. He will last. He's a good coach. He doesn't jump ship anywhere he goes. Being that he was with the Saints for over 12 years. I expect him to stay with the Broncos and figure this out with Russell Wilson, so I'm going to sell that he is going to be out in five years. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too. Now, I don't know if Russell Wilson, his longevity, because he's a mobile quarterback, he's gotten some injury issues. Will he last all those five years? I don't know, but they have to make the experiment work. Sean Payton's still a good head coach. Even if they do have to move on to a different quarterback down the road at the end of Russell Wilson's contract. He'll get his quarterback. They'll get his quarterback. I think Sean Payton's a good building block for that kind of thing. I hope this ownership isn't as stupid as some of the other ownerships that wants to get in the way of everything, because the Broncos have gotten a little bit of that reputation with other coaches not wanting to go there, but I think Sean Payton will last there, so I am going to sell that. Your Duke Blue Devils and North Carolina both unranked. Buy or sell, they will stay that way. They're at the end of the regular season. I'll sell that. I think they'll figure it out. There's still a lot of basketball left. March Madness is still a month away. I think Duke will figure it out. They're definitely making the tournament, but for the amount of talent that they had in this recruiting class, it just shows you how bad their coach is in Shire. And North Carolina, they have a pretty good recruiting class, and they have some good young players that came back this year, and they're just bombing it. But I think both teams make the tournament, and I think both teams will be seated. I am going to sell that. I'm going to say that as well. North Carolina, I think, has too much talent to be able to get there. I think they had a lot of veteran talent that just underperformed. It was kind of like a championship hangover. And the ACC, besides Miami, I like Miami a lot. Virginia, you know I don't trust them. Clemson's kind of a surprise this year, and I don't really trust them the last when it comes into conference play. I think one of them will end up ranked. I would trust North Carolina a little more than Duke, like you were saying, with Shire not being a great They're coach this year. They're both making the tournament. They're both making the tournament. 
tournament, no question. Whether they both finish top 25, I don't know, but I definitely think North Carolina will find a way to do it. I am going to sell that one. The Islanders will make the playoffs now that they have Bo Horvath. If they make another move at the trade deadline, I'm going to buy. They're going to make the playoffs. With Bo Horvath, it's not enough. So if they think that Bo Horvath's the only move they're going to have to make to get them in the playoffs, they're sadly mistaken. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it anyway, though, because I don't trust Washington. I only have one extra game on the Islanders right now. They're up by five points, but their defense, their goaltending's been a little better than expected, but still not great. Just a team that's very old. I know they've been in talks of potentially making a move at the trade deadline. The Islanders are old. Horvat will definitely help them a lot where they could be able to squeak in, I think. I think Pittsburgh is fine. They have three games at hand on the Islanders. I just don't trust Washington. I am going to buy that one. All right, last one. The New York Knicks will trade for Zach Levine. I'm going to buy it. I think the Knicks have the best chance to land him. Now that Kyrie Irving is available, the Mavericks, I thought, were the best fitting team to get Zach Levine, but I think they're now going to go after Kyrie Irving because he's the better player. So I'm going to buy it. I think the Knicks get Zach Levine. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I just think it makes a lot of sense for Chicago, the direction they're going in right now. They hired an executive from the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets built their team very homegrown. I think they want to build with their homegrown young players, and the Knicks have a lot more to give away when it comes to that than the Dallas Mavericks do, and I think Levine's value is falling, him forcing his way out. So you want to be able to try to get as many young players as you can and draft picks, which the Knicks have a lot of them. Dallas has just their normal amount right now. They don't really have any special amount of first-round picks. The Knicks have a ton, so it just makes too much sense. I'm going to buy it as well. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is crunch time. Thank you to our friend, Wisconsin sophomore cornerback Al Hashford, Moneyline Mania, Chaz and Wes giving us the time after coming back from Vegas. Thank you to all the fans. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. We will be back next week. And by the way, please stay warm. It is a cold Saturday. It was a cold Friday. Hopefully it stays a little cold and we'll see some snow before the spring. The little groundhog. I don't know if he saw himself or didn't see himself. I want to see some snow. So sound out. Please, everybody stay warm. Be careful. Good night.